What up, what up, what up? This is Open Mike Eagle. I'm live from uh, what it happened was headquarters, which is the same as Stony Island Audio headquarters, which is the same as my apartment. I greet you today, season two, episode nine of what it happened was. This season, we're sitting down with Mr. LP every episode and chronicling his projects and thereby his life and career. And boy, we have arrived at a place um, reinvention in rap music is a thing that, um, that has happened on a few notable occasions. Not everybody's been able to do it. Not everybody's been able to know that they needed to do it or that they could benefit from it. Um, I think of people like MF Doom, a rest in peace, who had one of the most famous career reinventions that one could imagine starting out with KMD and dealing with the tragedies he dealt with and reemerging as MF Doom, or somebody like a Butterfly from Diggable Planets who reinvented himself as Cherry Wine and then reinvented himself as Palacio Lazaro in, uh, in Shabazz Palaces. I think if you look at the collective, the duo, Run the Jewels, made up of LP and Killer Mike, you have to put it in that conversation as well. You have Killer Mike... Out of Atlanta, started with Outkast, uh, had made a bunch of noise, and it made um, a project or two that, that didn't quite pop off like he or anyone else was expecting to, um, with him being as powerful of an MC, as talented, as skilled, as energetic as he was. And then you have LP, who started with Company Flow out of the underground rap scene in New York, um, started Def Jux, the label, which was a roller coaster ride all its own. And he had his solo work and he was going through it too after the label folded. And they ended up being put together uh, courtesy of William Street Records and James DeMarco over at Adult Swim. And they come together to make uh, RAP music, which is a Killer Mike solo album that's produced by LP. And um, that happens to come out one week before the solo album that LP was working on at the time, which is Cancer for Cure, that causes them to go on tour together. Uh, they've both done a verse on each other's album, so they're performing together. And um, I think that paves the way and kind of sets up the rest of the story um, as we arrive at it thus far. So I ain't got much to say. I'm your host. I asked questions and I make edits and I upload things and um, I run Stony Island Audio which is a podcast network where if you're interested in any of these stories whether it's um, this season with LP or last season with Prince Paul I invite you to check out the rest of our roster we got a bunch of great shows and in, 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 uh, from, from a hip-hop centric space is that a thing I don't know but it sounds right and we got a couple new shows coming soon um maybe even potentially this week maybe i should even shout it out right now because potentially the first episode could be available after you hear this even if it's not i'll say this let's go ahead and make this announcement starting this week we introduce the raw report by dice raw of the legendary roots crew featuring truck north We'll get back into it in one second, but I need to take a quick moment and shout out our sponsor, DistroKid. Man, so many of my homies use DistroKid. 
It's a music distribution service that makes distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100% of their royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to put their music on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. A million plus artists, and I swear I know at least 100 of them. And now DistroKid has an app. You can use the app to upload new releases, see your DistroKid bank, and get notified when you've earned royalties. You can even check your streaming stats live. The DistroKid app is now available on iOS. Go to the App Store and download it. DistroKid also has a new feature called Instant Share that allows you to easily share large files securely with collaborators, producers, booking agents, managers, playlist curators, and more. Basically, anybody that needs access to your music, there's an easy way to upload it and send them a link. Go to distrokid.com slash instant share, drag and drop your files to upload, and then you can copy and send your link right there. It's free to send one gigabyte of files. That's like 100 MP3s. Don't quote me on that. Go to distrokid.com slash open mic. That's distrokid.com slash open mic. O-P-E-N-M-I-K-E for 30% off your membership. So probably that's out right now. If it's not, keep your eyes peeled. Sorry, that's my neighborhood being loud. I'm Open Mike Eagle. Let's get into it. Season 2, Episode 9, What It Happened Was. Run the jewels. Deluxe labor, the underground undertaker, the whole capers, independent as fuck flavor. Audio exhibit, visit the history, to him winning without fucking with the industry, and him losing without fucking with the industry. No illusion, we tracing every movement in the symphony. This is official from lifting of pencils. Cold flow the depth jugs up to the fist and the pistol. I'm sending questions like infinite missiles. Digging for details when stories from the past come up. And if he don't remember, then he has to shrug. It's what the podcast does, what it happened was. Welcome, ladies and, and gentlemen, um, and whatever abode or vehicle you might be checking in from. My name is Open Mike Eagle, and this is What Had Happened Was, um, and we are back with the one and only Mr. LP. How you doing today, man? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm, Sorry, I'm all right. I'm going to turn this light off. No, it's all good, man. You, you make yourself good and damn comfortable. Cause yeah. Probably take my clothes off. Well, you know, whatever it takes. We're gonna we're gonna yeah. get intimate with your work, so you know it, it all it all works together. It's, so as comfortable as Good. you want to be. Good. Um, we've been on a journey, man. We started all the way with like your very earliest hip hop memories, um, and now we're kind of moving into the modernist of modern times with with mm. the act that you are currently active with we are we have now yeah. arrived at run the jewels your collaboration ongoing collaboration with killer mike um and i you know just from talking to you about producing mike's album and producing your album at the same time and the energy that went into that 
Uh, I know you guys went on a tour together because uh, those albums mm-hmm. came out really mm-hmm. close to each other. And it was right. on that tour uh, where you guys decided to make the group. Is that is that a fair way to put it? Not really. Um, it was sort of like, it was sort of like the end of the tour and I was kind of like, just trying to figure out what my next move was. Mike was like, what are you doing? And I was like, man, I think I'm about to just go Go, go jump into the studio. I got like some beats that I've been fucking with and I'm going to go make a bunch of beats and I'm probably just going to like do a, like a free EP or something like that. You know, I just, I just was trying to like keep the energy going and um, I was feeling inspired. Um, and basically I was just like, I'm going to go, I'm going to take my boy Taco and we're going to go up upstate to this studio that i found in the uh in the woods not in the woods but to me from when you're from brooklyn anything that has a tree near it is in the woods <laughs> you know and get out of dodge and just make some shit i'm thinking you know i'm probably gonna call it run the jewels or whatever like it's a project and he was like i'll come jump on that shit and i was like all right bet, cool jump on it like we do some jams oh shit and um that was it that was it like literally me and taco went up and started doing some beats and shit and Mike came in, you know, Mike, Mike, this was probably the last time that Mike like willingly went anywhere cold. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> it was like, it was in the winter and shit. And he was like, he was just in a good mood. And I think that he just sort of felt like, fuck it, you know, let's jump in and do some shit. He was excited about working with me. And like, so he came through, we had beats and then we were making beats at the same time. And for two weeks with Mike, we basically just smoked weed, took shrooms, drank and knocked out probably 70 percent of the album Damn. in like two weeks really just kind of staying up all night and just kicking it and like it was it was it was magical it was really it was really easy and again that was probably the last time it was really easy like run the jewels one run the jewels one was just so fucking easy and because there was no expectation whatsoever right. you know that we didn't even have a, i just had this idea to give something away for free but other than that there was no pressure there was no one like what's the f-, you know mm-hmm. we didn't have any legacy to follow up we were in a place in our lives where we had kind of come out of the darkness and kind of solidified ourselves as like working musicians again you know yeah. we could tour Nothing huge, but we could tour, make some bread. We could, you know, we can make the records that we wanted. We were getting some cri- like critical acclaim, and everything felt pretty new again, pretty fresh again. Still, at the same time, we were completely free of any expectations. I think that to some degree, we both were taking it as like a break for right. from maybe ourselves a little uh. bit, you know, because we're both pretty intense when we're artists on our own. There's a, you know, there's a deepness and intensity when it comes to defining yourself, whether or not you want that to be the case or not. Mm-hmm. But if you have a career and you have a body of work and you're, and, you're, and you're running in and you're doing, you're adding to that, it was just this sort of spontaneous thing. I think that we did about six jams mm-hmm. and, we started, and we started playing it for a couple of people. We played it for our friend, Jason DeMarco, yeah. who, who introduced us, of course, my boy Taco, who had been, we started working together um, closely with Cancer for Cure. And then I brought him in like, yo, come come from the beginning of this project and really get in on it with me. Like, you know, so between the two of them, they were both kind of like, yo, this shit is dope. You guys would be kind of crazy if you didn't just do like four more jams, you know, and, <laughs> and make it a fucking, make it a fucking album. Go ahead, do it. And we were like, yeah all right cool so that was sort of the 
the inception. So it's, it's interesting, you know, that you already had it in your mind to release something free. And I want to circle back on that in a minute. But um, also that you had the name Run the Jewels kind of in your in your head already. Um, and, and just from talking to you about other projects, I know that when it comes to names, like there's this balance between like, oh, this is this is an idea. And oh, this this sounds cool as fuck. Um, and it does sound cool. But I, what, what was the idea was or was there an idea behind Run the Jewels or, or any kind of like philosophy behind it? I mean, I always, I, I, it was something I had always wanted to name a project or something. It was like, an, in my mind, it was always one of those rotating like album title mm -hmm. possibilities. And it was basically because I loved the LL Cool J song, Cheesy Rap Blues. Mm -hmm. And that song was about him losing everything, getting famous, getting money, and then losing everything. And at the end, he's going, throw your hands in the air, wave them like you just don't care run the tools yeah. and like you know by the end he had lost it all and he was like fuck it you know i'm robbing you now mm. like this is where i'm at so when i floated the idea to mike about not just calling the project that but like making that the, a group name he fronted for like one day he was like i don't know let me think about it and the next day he called me up he was like yeah that's it that's the group <laughs> name but it fit because it really felt like that's where we were you know what i mean it felt like it felt like we had both kind of hit rock bottom uh before we met and then our energy and what, what we were together was this renewed sort of fierceness, you know? Mm -hmm. It was like, yo, all bets are off. Like, fuck it, run the jewels. Like, we're, we're fucking, we may be going down, but we're going down shooting, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's how we felt about it. It evolved, of course, you know? It's one of those things that felt like it had a lot of room conceptually to play mm -hmm. with it, but it fit us. And it also fit our past, you know? It mm -hmm. fit like our reference. We both came up at the same time and... So that, that phrase was not something that was, it wasn't something I had to unearth. You know what I mean? It was like, you know, run the jewels was a phrase that we heard when we were kids. And if you heard it, you knew you were in fucking trouble. Yeah. Now, I, I, I never had it. any, nah, I, I never had any jewels. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I was, I only heard about it, right. <laughs> you know? but it just felt like it was aggressive, but it was playful. And also it was like, um, kind of repped how we felt like, mm. yo, we felt good. We felt good, like kind of like, yo, fuck this. We're we're ill. <laughs> like, yes. we're gonna take this shit, you know. And 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 that's a big difference from a couple of years ago when I think both of us, before we met each other, were not so sure anymore. Mm. Like we were having our doubts for the first time. Him and his way, and mine and my way. You know, just kind of like facing facing that question that you get to eventually, and you have to kind of earn the question, or sometimes you're unlucky enough to that question hits you real early. You know, when you have a whole career and then you have that question of like, is this it? Have I outlasted my stay? Have I said everything that is interesting to say? Is is there room for what my style of music is? You know what I mean? And, and I, so those doubts creeping in and kind of having some life shit, the whole like cheesy rat, run the blues, run the jewels shit felt mm -hmm. like it, it fit us, you know, it gave us a little... Give us a little grin on our on our faces like, yeah, this makes sense. I'm ready to do this. And it was fucking catchy. Have you ever met LL? Like, have you ever talked to him about this this title? Never. Okay. Okay. But my boy Z Trip is good friends with LL and he's his DJ. And he was actually trying to get LL on Run the Jewels. And I think that that's like was a possibility at one point. Probably still is at Probably some point. Is. He told him, I think. I think yes. He broke it down to him. But no, I will one day, hopefully. Yeah. Um, I know 
or at least I'm I'm pretty sure Nick Gazin did the the art for the uh, the cover. He did. I met him through A Track mm-hmm. and Nick Catch Dubs with Fool's Gold. When we had the record, we were like giving it away for free, but then we were trying to bring it to. We we also were like, well, fuck it. Why don't we Why don't we get some vinyl done and why mm-hmm. don't we get some? You know, we weren't looking at it like we want to sell records. Um, we were looking at it like who would get this shit and who would be psyched about it. So we weren't in like any type of mode of let's go get a real, you know, serious deal and blah, blah, blah and all that. So, you know, I just liked those guys. They're from New York and, and they were doing, they were doing cool shit with their label. And um, when we came time to do the album cover, he introduced us to Nick Gazin. They introduced us to Nick Gazin. Um, And I, I, all I had was this. Okay. I just had the, I just had the symbol. And I still have the email to this day where I sent it to the case and, and I was holding a little bullshit chain. And I was like, so you, this feel like the, you took this like a reference it, photo basically and sent it to him. Of you I took a it. reference photo. Yeah. Okay. In my mind, I was thinking of Wu-Tang. Right. You, you know, know what I mean? How, how, how Cass could stowed a W yeah. up. Yeah. Um, I was, I was thinking of shit that was, that was symbolic and, and, and a way that it could be communicated without having to explain much. And I just started taking pictures of like, what that, what would that be? What would the hand gesture mm-hmm. sign be for Run the Jewels? So that was my idea. And, and we, we already kind of knew what he did. He, so I liked his style. Mm-hmm. And um, so he just came up with a version of that. You know, we just kind of talked about it. Like, what kind of hands are they? Are they zombie hands? Right. Are they, you know, are monster they you hands, know, monster yeah. hands? Whatever it was. We just kind of went through a couple of different sort of iterations. But that was pretty quickly. He came up with that general sort of look. So, which we ran with for like yeah. the first album and all the merch and the first album and everything. And that obviously that evolved. But yeah, you know, it's so interesting that you said the Wu-Tang W because I was looking at it, you know, prepping for the interview and thinking this to me is like the most impactful, long lasting logo since the W, you know, like it's that mm. it, it hits that hard. It communicates, like you say, a lot with a little. Um, and it seems like easily the kind of thing that can stick around and, and, and like you guys have done, you can just flip it and, and do it a bunch of different ways, but it still, yeah, it still carries. Um, since it is, the, such- let me just add mm-hmm. to that. Like the crazy shit about that was that it, as the fans reacted to it, and as we started doing shows and seeing people throw it up, it started to imbue much more meaning for us in terms of what that meant, you know, mm. like what, what, what that logo meant for us, it was just raw right. at first, you know what I mean? But when we saw kids throwing it up, and obviously they didn't have chains in their hands, they had a show, they just throwing up the, this is not something we created. We didn't say, do this. People <laughs> started doing it, um, sending us, you know, pictures doing it, and like doctors sending pictures doing it and with, after like delivering a baby, and, like, <laughs> you know, fucking, fucking like Olympic medalists sending wow. it and showing it and, you know, people getting their degrees and showing it and people like um, with their kids doing it. And all of a sudden it started to feel like, oh, wow, we really struck on something here because the, I think the most powerful things symbolically and culturally are the things that people can take and make their own. Mm-hmm. And I think that part of the, our whole thing with Run the Jewels was that we we were inspired by and wanted to emulate the things that like our heroes did, which was like Run DMC. The idea that we're not this thing to just be observed. Mm-hmm. Run the Jewels is like something that people can make their their thing. They can Run the feel Jewels like they're is a like part it, of it, even if it's not one hundred percent. You're a part of this thing. Exactly. Called Run the Jewels, yeah. 
exactly and you can help define that and it did it, it defined and changed it for us as well it, it imbued it with a little bit more responsibility for us a little bit more mm-hmm. power but also you know the thing about run dmc was the thing that they did for kids i think was that they made the goal or the dream of being a superhero a lot more obtainable mm-hmm. because run dmc were the first dudes to come out in street clothes right they were the first dudes who weren't wearing like feathers right <laughs> you know they were wearing jeans and and a jean jacket you know and a cool chain or something it was one of those things that for us we looked at run dmc and we're like oh that's not so crazy i have a friend we could dress like that there was something obtainable about it and something that was um that didn't feel like you're witnessing some sort of crazy performer that you could never be you know you recognize these dudes you know it wasn't crazy to see someone and you know dressed in in a levi's suit And I think that that's what we wanted for Run the Jewels. We wanted to make sure that people didn't feel like you were, like our music was about you witnessing us. And I think that we wanted to be more grounded than that. We wanted people to feel like we were them Hmm. in some sense, you know, that it was, that it was easy enough. Like that maybe if you just got a friend (laughs) who you loved and did something together, then, then that was, that was good enough. You know, that's dope. Um, so y'all originally start this, you know, you come off tour, you got some beats, you got some ideas to do a free thing that's, that's kind of like you said, just to keep the energy moving. And, you know, you make this great music that people are reacting to and you make this powerful imagery. But was that original project, was it just intended to be a one-off or was it intended to be something that y'all would come back to? It was intended to be a one-off. We didn't think that Run the Jewels was our future. We just thought that it was it was joyous. When we got into it and we started doing it, we were just we were just like this shit is dope. Me and Mike already were really liked how we sounded together. We did the two jams where we rapped together, one on his album, one on my album, and both of those jams were fun as fuck, and we liked it. And we both come from like the sort of similar school. We both push each other. So getting into the studio with like your man, who also is probably your favorite rapper at the time, and just going off, it was this fun volley back and forth, mm-hmm. a one-upmanship kind of. Yeah, you know what I mean? Sure. Like to some some degree, just for the sake of making the music. It was like, yeah, just know that when I get on, I'm 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 <laughs> I'm going crazy. You know, and um. So it was it was that push and pull that made it exciting and also just that it was a natural extension of our friendship at the moment and we never imagined that it would that it would d- dominate the next you know 8 years of our lives mm-hmm. like we didn't know that it would even connect with people the way that it did we couldn't have predicted that i think that we both were really just in the mind state of that we were solo artists and that we were back on track doing doing music that you know we wanted to do that people you know were, were listening to we had an audience when we were definitely i wish i could say that it was mm-hmm. some sort of master plan but we were kind of taken by it the same way that the listeners were mm-hmm. i guess just to a degree like and i think that that's why it's, it's stayed with us it's stuck with us i think people can sense it because we know where we're at in life you know mm-hmm. what i mean we knew where we were at in life then to some degree we were in a bonus round mm-hmm. the whole time just even being able to get to do what we love to do and having people feel like it's relevant it was anomalous you know and it's remained that way the entire time and there was never a point where me and mike took that shit for granted because we were so genuinely surprised by the the 
fucking tornado that this shit caused that we were just holding on for dear life we were just riding it we had not like we had no plans and it just turned into like a tour and then it turned into another tour and then it took it was it was like it kind of took us all over the world again and, it, and we were doing these shows and it was just so fun to be like oh man this is so much easier to <laughs> so much easier to do a show yeah. <laughs> When, there, when, when there's another dude up here who's got charisma and he's, and he's fucking taking half of the lyrics. It was really just, I think our lives were just clear and open at that point. I think that we have just found this magical place where we had done what we had set out to do, which was sort of right the train on the tracks a little bit, you know, but the destination was never discussed, you know. So you've mentioned a couple times that your idea going into it was to release a free thing. And, you know, yeah. I think for people that aren't in the music business, it might be kind of difficult for them to understand why you'd want to do something like that. So what what was the thought behind that at the time, like wanting to do something and release it for free? Well, I mean, it was multifaceted. It was an instinct. Mm -hmm. It was a gut instinct. I mean, I've spent sort of my entire career trying to figure out the quickest way to get from the the, the art that I make to the people to the releasing and yeah and to getting it to people mm -hmm. you know and to cutting out the middleman i mean i started an independent record label because to me that was cutting out the middleman a little mm -hmm. bit but then you realize oh there's a lot of middleman in that even, <laughs> you know i mean and there's a lot there's a lot of complication in that and i saw that whole industry take a huge hit you know, I was one of the people who took the hit, or at least we were one of the labels that took the hit, like many others. And as technology came through, and as I started to, as everything started to get into flux, digital sales haven't re had hadn't yeah. reached the point like we discussed where they could float record labels, but physical sales had declined a lot, and everyone was everyone was trying to figure out what to do. And I think that part of it was that I was sick of the whole conversation, hmm. and I was. I was kind of tired of of having to worry about the, the promotion and the push and the blah 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 and the and the, and the risk it takes people you have to hire mm -hmm. you know like it i was just kind of sick of the whole conversation because i was very clear that I, I think i just was clear like what i want to do is make a connection with people and when we thought about that when I thought about that, I was like, you know, what, what's the biggest gesture you could possibly make to an audience? If you don't have a budget, if you don't have a marketing budget, if you don't have any muscle behind you and you're swimming in a sea of sharks and you're a guppy, basically, mm -hmm. you know, and that's if you're playing that game. I was just like, well, you know, this needs to be something that is just really pure and easy, just like the album was, mm -hmm. just like the making of it, just like the friendship was, just like everything that's been happening has been really pure and easy without a plan. And, and that has felt really good. Coming from a period of my time where I was trying to control everything around me and I couldn't. You never feel the amount of pain of losing something if you weren't desperately trying to cling onto it or desperately mm. trying to make it work. It, it's just not the same pain. It was a philosophical statement, I think, giving it away for free. It was like, listen, we don't have anything to offer except this music. Hmm. We don't have a fucking... We don't have a big budget. We don't have videos. We don't have all this shit. And I couldn't think of a bigger gesture to the world and to people who'd be interested in the music than to say, the, the only thing that I have, I am giving to you as a gesture, mm. as a down payment on what I hope will be a relationship, as a down payment on what I hope will be 
you falling in love with this and and then somehow that working out so that i get to do what i love to do mm -hmm. and there was really no other plan besides that even dating back to napster and all that yeah. shit i was always really annoyed kind of disgusted at the way that the industry reacted to the fans simply just for being young people in the space of technology simply just for being different naturally you know, in terms of the way that they consume music than what the record labels um, had based their model on. Right. And there was a lot of animosity and a lot of finger pointing and, and, and labels going after kids right. and fucking Lars Ulrich fucking, you know, making commercials and shit and trying to lecture you. You're freaking Lars on from Metallica. I love everything you do. Except for that bad show you're hosting. You know what? Maybe I wouldn't have to whore myself out if you kids didn't steal my music uh, whoa we're not stealing okay we're just sharing with each other you know so it's like if i take this soda can right here take a sip out of it oh my god i'm sharing my soda with lars Ulrich. people were literally getting taken to court yeah. you know and i just it just it just bothered me it was like this is what the fuck is wrong with you motherfuckers like you know you're not acknowledging you're not acknowledging why this is happening. Mm. The reason why this is happening is because for decades, you've been selling dog shit to these kids. For <laughs> Over, a, overpriced for a, dog shit, too. For a, for a high price. Yeah. For a high price. And, and you've been getting away with that shit. And now they're savvy. And now they want to fucking take a test drive before they fucking buy the car. Mm. And everything is such a fucking get over everyone is trying to get over on kids everyone is trying to just like rope them in and trip them into paying the money and to me philosophically i was like i think that uh, i think that what people want kids want is to be given an option i think that kids have a lot of agency over what they you know and not a lot of money we were fighting for the hearts and minds of people we didn't want a barrier between us and that mm -hmm. we wanted them to get it and then decide whether or not they fucked with it. And mm. so even a dollar between us and someone hearing this shit, like when you're a fucking kid and, and, and you there's multiple streaming services and shit, people take this shit for granted now, but look at your bill every month. You know, there's a lot of money flowing in this shit and it's not it's not cheap. Whatever the case is, if someone fucking has to choose between buying some shit, uh, you know, and buying your shit, if, if someone is broke and they can't fucking afford and that's what disgusted me about that whole era, the Napster era, when everyone was uh, just vehemently going after kids and not acknowledging the fact that, like, yeah, man, the, the reason that people are downloading music is because they love music. Hmm. Like, remember? Like, they <laughs> right. love music. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, it's not because they're criminals. It's right. because they love music and they need to hear music and that's inspiring. And if you wanted to collect your favorite music all in one place, it's a lot of money. It's mm -hmm. a collection. It's a thing, you know, traditionally. We didn't want anyone who, was, who didn't have the budget. We didn't want anyone who didn't have, or maybe they didn't even know who we were. So they were like, I got to choose between a sure bet and something else. We just wanted to eliminate it. We just wanted the purest possible us to you, boom, you make the decision. Mm -hmm. You tell us whether or not this shit is worth you coming to a show or, right. or, you know, or buying the vinyl when we press it. You know, it was just a gut instinct, man. And it just felt right. I don't think it was radical. People have given away plenty of mixtapes before. Yeah. And so I think there was also that too. We were sort of like, yeah, it's kind of like a mixtape, I guess. But it wasn't. It was an album. 
So that's it. That's my long-winded answer to that. But it felt, it just really felt right, 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 right. And now a word from our sponsors. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get back to the conversation in just a second, but we want to give a quick shout out and a thank you to our sponsor. And this is a sponsor that's near and dear to my heart, Better Help. And they're near and dear to my heart because they take mental health seriously, which is a thing that is that is important to me and something I'm passionate about. And they ask you to ask yourself what interferes with your happiness. In my case, there's several things that go on with the way that I try to run my career and its multifacets that I tend to need help and assistance on. I don't always know the answers internally, and it's good to have a place to go and ask for help. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist that you can connect with safely and privately online. If you hit them up and start the process, you can be talking to a therapist in less than 48 hours. And it's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. You can send a message to your counselor anytime and get timely and thoughtful responses. And you can also schedule weekly video or phone sessions, all without having to sit in a weird and uncomfortable waiting room. And you can find the particular expertise you need. It's not a one-size-fits-all thing. There's people who specialize in depression, stress, anxiety, relationship troubles, sleeping troubles, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, or self-esteem. It's all confidential. It's all convenient. It's all professional. And it's all affordable. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. If you want to start living a happier life today, as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor, BetterHelp.com slash WHHW. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash WHHW. And now back to your regularly scheduled program. Um, so I'm going to get into the songs a little bit, but by way of, of the business conversation that we're having, too. Um. You take a song like Banana Clipper and uh, Big Boy's verse, he, you know, he that that was, I think for that time, like, people really hadn't heard him rap like that. We the old Atlanta, new Atlanta, future of the city, daddy fat says don't give a damn cause can't now new nigga get with me. Now it's true, niggas are simply simple minded, simple Simons being dumbed down by the local radio stations by designing, but when I be rhyming, no payola is required. My bank account obese as fuck while yours sits on the diet. Nigga, your lease is up, you're fired. Quiet, that's how the balls talk. Retain ownership on everything, every car bought. And paid for no neighbors cause I'm sitting on acres. Went to Vegas, jumped the broom cause I wasn't tripping on papers. Or no prenuptial agreement for mama. If we broke up and she took half, I'd still be sitting on commas. Eight figures, nigga. You know what I'm saying? Like he, he you know, outcast. He was, you know, kind of playful with the words and 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 using different styles, but like he came on that, just yeah. barring out, real gritty and grimy. How did you feel hearing that? Yeah. Oh man, are you kidding me? Yeah. I mean, f- first of all, shout out to Twan, man, and, and happy birthday to Twan. It was his birthday yesterday. Oh, fantastic! Um, you know, he was the big guest for us. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? He was he's such a supporter, and from the beginning, and of course, he's him and Mike's relationship is so deep. You know. Twan was there just like, yeah, I'm in. Let's go for it. You know, I I think that Outkast knew company flow. I don't think that that he was aware of of me outside of company flow. But, you know, at the time, anyone who was like in that moment 
you know, who was really into music, they probably heard of Company Flow, you know. Um, and I think that that was what where his recognition was. So he was a big deal. I mean, we worked hard to get that. Like Absolutely. he was like, I'll do it, but it took a while for him to do it. And um, did he come to New York to us to, to do it? Um, he did. Dope. Yeah, he did that shit in New York at my boy Nick Hook's studio. No, I mean it was. I mean it was exactly what we needed. He just mm -hmm. fucking went off. I mean, I think that he could feel the energy. Big Boy's a rapper's rapper, yeah. like full on, and so is everyone that we fuck with. And so, and so everybody rises to the occasion when they hear. I think what me and what the energy that, energy, that me and Mike yeah. are coming with. It's not because we're you know just destroying everybody. It's just because we have an energy, you know. Yeah. And I think that it's an energy that taps into every like real like old school, not old school, but people our age and and people who grew up on you know all the music we grew up on. Even if you're not like Twan's like Big Boys catalog doesn't sound like run the jewels right. catalog but he comes from the same era i think that the shit that we're doing taps into that mm -hmm. that thing for people mm -hmm. it's an excuse for people to like kind of like oh okay you guys are barring out like this is this is not everything else it's right. and it's not better or worse it's just this it's is a lane yeah it's a different thing and i love this lane too this lane is in me you know and um and so, yeah, he just he just murdered that shit. And to us, it was it was the biggest deal in the world. It was like any fucking Frank Sinatra. On right. You know, it was like it was very kind to him, and he's just been a supporter from day one. Well, you know, and and I I touched on that specifically. I mean, it, it you know, it sounds like he might have even did it just on the strength of, of the relationship with y'all. But even aside from that, the album sounds really good. And and you know, just Thank me you. as a person who has you know has experience in the music business i'm like this album sounds like it sounds expensive you know like i, I know uh. that you have you <laughs> as the as the producer so and and i know yeah. that that in itself is gonna is gonna lower the cost some but you still got engineers and mixing and mastering and all this and so sure. in terms of a a free project is is there is there a risk you're taking in spending the kind of money you might have taken to put that together and then putting it out for free yeah yeah but you know, the, my whole life, the only thing I've ever invested in is art. Mm -hmm. <laughs> is 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 a is a moment. Is is a project. I never I never had any problem with that. You know, yeah, like we self funded that. Right. You know, I funded that because it was going to be an LP project originally. It was just going to be an LP project before Mike got involved, and then it was still even kind of going to be that featuring Killer Mike. You know, it was going to be like Ghost and Ray. You know, yeah. and um. <laughs> And then it obviously became a you know a group. I just came off tour. I was like, I put some money aside, like I'm making this record, and spent a little extra because I got out of my my home studio and we went up to a different studio. And my whole career, I had never done that except except maybe for Company Flow. I had always made the majority of my my records in some form of like my home studio, mm -hmm. you know, and then gotten it mixed depending on what it was. So I think also at that point with with, with Run the Jewels. I had also taken a little bit of a production shift. I was sampling less, right? And but but I was still, you know, it was still rooted in 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 that style and that sound a little bit. But the drums, the eight oh eights, were a little bit more, you know, a little bit cleaner. I wanted to make a record that could bump in a modern way. I wanted to make sure that this shit was not gonna like if you put my shit on next to whatever the hottest record was on the radio, that it was gonna hurt the speakers mm -hmm. more than that one you know it was this interesting little hybrid of production style of it was something i had wanted to do and was leaning towards and it was like a, it was it was that i was trying to make sure that the style that i wanted to produce in was was competitive with in terms of the the way that it hit 
and, and if not competitive, dominating even. Right. You know, like I wanted it to be the loudest thing on the block. And Joey Raya mixed that as who's who had at that point been my longtime engineer. And I think that it was a it was a cool sound. It kind of, and and also because, you know, I had been working with Mike and, and we had had so much fun doing that record and and I had had so much fun kind of playing around with a different bop. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. there was a little bit more of like a halftime bop and yeah. the shit that I was doing. And I just leaned into that even further because I was as an MC, I was like, yo, I want to rock over some of this shit. Like I want to like yeah, I had double time in your ass off <laughs> yeah. all over this. Yeah. Thing. You know I can't lose, I'm a screw term, pro status Never did shit but inflict this damage Never met a word that I wouldn't like a weapon just brandish Walk away clown boy, vanish Yeah, and it was fun, it was fun it felt fresh, you know, I was like, this is a space I can play in that I'm gonna have a different style than anyone doing this shit right now. But it was self-funded and, and there's always a risk and that's a risk that I decided a long time ago is the type of risk that's worth taking. And mm -hmm. I never really was smart enough to, <laughs> to, to do any other type of investing. I, I always invested in people and in the moment and in, and in an idea, but I couldn't tell you what the fuck is going on in the stock market, you know? So no GameStop stop for, for, for gaming, no stonks? <laughs> nah, although I almost did that shit. I almost did too. <laughs> shit. I almost did that shit. I, I hit up my dude and I was like, yo, put 20 grand down right now on fucking GameStop. And he was like, no. <laughs> uh, and I was right. like, I was just like, oh, you're right. Yeah, you're probably Sorry. right. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I guess that's, 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 that's why he's a professional. Um, yeah. The song Run the Jewels, the, the song itself. And I always love, man, I always love when an act or a group has a song that's named after them. Like, that's always my favorite. Yeah. Um, so you put this album on and this song, Run of Jewels, it feels like it busts through the door, right? And on, I feel like any other album, you would bust through the door and then things would kind of slow down. But then, like, every song on there, it keeps busting through the door <laughs> over and over yeah. again. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and it's almost like every sure. song on the album could be, like, the first song. And and yeah, was there any? Is is that a conscious until the, thing? until the until the last until, song, until Christmas could, miracle, yeah. which, which could clearly only be the last song. This right? is true. And, I mean, I think that I think that it was simply just like we wanted to be we wanted it to be breathless. We wanted it to be every jam was, was was that. Like kicking in the door again. Like what a nightmare. You know, you're getting every 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 the dude with the gun keeps kicking the door in and shit. Like it's groundhog day, you know, like what the fuck? Like relax. Like yeah, like give me some time to deal with the robbery. You know, that's why the thing is like 30 minutes long. We just, mm -hmm. we, we, we were just like, we just were wasting literally no time. And I think that that momentum was also something that we just felt was like, yo, if we're going to grab people's attention, let's just, if we can grab it, let's just hold on to their collars. And I think that what we discovered with that record was that it was so, it had so much fucking momentum sonically. And it was short. It you was a half playing. an hour that you just keep playing it. You just keep, you know, just let it rock. That's something that I think I came back to, too. When we did Run the Jewels 4, I was like, yo, one thing that I want to do again or change uh, about what we do with this versus what we did with 3, which is sort of this sprawling, epic record, mm -hmm. um, 
which I loved. And I think it was time for us to do that sprawling epic mm -hmm. record on Run the Jewels 3. But when you're, when you're doing a body of work, I think it's all about the rhythm of your work. It's right. about the rhythm of the arc of not only the album, but also the albums. Mm -hmm. What are you fighting against? Or what are you not even fighting against, but what are you adding to? So I think that that, that momentum that Run the Jewels 1 had was something that inspired me when I went in to do Run the Jewels 4. So one thing I'm really interested in is, is y'all's process. Mm. Um, so let's take a song like Get It, right? Get It sounds like the kind of joint where like one of y'all, you know, leaves it off, does some bars. The other one hears where the last one ended, follows with their own. Um, like it's very much, it sounds like it's laid down and written in sequence. Um, yeah. Is that, is that how that went? And and is is there is there a portion of songs that y'all just go at it in that, in that way? Yes. That's how that went. That's how a lot of the jams went, especially the ones where you can hear us kind of playing off of each yeah. other. And the thing that we, we, we kind of discovered and that we made a point of, of like going for, like you got to find a certain amount of openness with your partner when you're doing something, when you're in tandem. Like you got to figure out what it means for you to be a group. One of the things that you can do as a group is, is if you don't have a thought to end something, someone else can jump in with a thought. Ah. And, you know, um, so if you listen to it, there's all, it's off. There's not like, we're not like doing like four it's bars, fours, yeah. four bars, 12 bars, 12 bars. It's like six bars. There was this momentum with us. Someone would just go based off of what the other person was doing and the vibe of what they were doing. And the second they stopped, a lot of times someone would jump up and right. be like, I got something, you know? Mm -hmm. And it took some trust, I think, for that. Because up until that point, there's ego involved. I mean, to, just in your personal expression, not not like as a person, but in your personal expression, like wanting to finish the thought, wanting to, knowing that you're being judged on your own merits mm -hmm. in some in some way, understanding like, yo, whatever my verse is, I'm getting judged on my verse, wanting to be able to finish the thought. So it takes some trust to be like, all right, finish the thought, you right. know what I mean? Like, and, and keep it rolling. And I think that that was something that we touched on that made some of the jams kind of magical, that made them kind of cascading. Mm -hmm. um, it didn't feel like we were two separate entities. And there were jams, of course, where we really were. But some of those jams, like, yeah, like Get It and a couple others, that was us doing that, just a little show. And we would talk about it too, like, yo, let's do some short ones and then we'll kind of evolve. But we were just having fun discovering who we were. As a group, yeah. Together, together yeah. as a group. And to some degree, that's like a rebirth. It's a fresh and new way to think about writing and, and to think about music. And it's something that I think hit, hit us at the right time, mm. where we had both just done these long intense records uh, uh or at least the process of making the records of where it was all us each individually it was like everything's on my back i'm writing this whole shit like it's everything is a statement that i am i'm making and so when you kind of like let the reins off a little bit take the pressure off a little bit like don't worry man you don't have to save the world with these two bars like <laughs> your man's coming your, your man's coming up behind you to say some funny shit you, can, <laughs> you know what i mean you can it's tag like, him in yeah 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 you know it, it goes back to like being in a group one of the things i always loved about being in a group the glory isn't only yours but neither is the blame right you know? right. <laughs> it's like it just takes a weight off I know artists that are so brilliant, but their biggest problem is that they're crippled by their own legacy and, yeah. and, and, their, and, the, and the way that they think about their legacy and their music. 
so the, the the video forget it is really dope it looks like it's footage from what would have been y'all's like first tour yeah it is um super low super low budge my man oh, uh, Matt, great. mateo suarez he he was on the tour we had him running around with us just taking video footage all the time and yeah that was a that was a that was a moment in time definitely mm. that was like we were doing like 500 person rooms you know yeah it was definitely you could tell it was a lot smaller and y'all were just kind of feeling mm -hmm. it out do you have any mm -hmm. like memories of that like and and you know big memories in terms of things that you were observing on that first run to jewels tour yeah well the first run to jewels tour was what we didn't even know if run the jewels was really gonna be a thing right so basically the way that we did it because we were not confident that run the jewels was the poll we did it as lp and killer mike uh -huh. so mike would come out and do his solo set i would come out and do my solo set and we would walk off the stage and we'd come back and we do a run the jewels set and, and when we started it it was like mike could do an hour i'd do an hour and then we do we'd cap it off with run the jewels which is a long set for some fucking out of shape dudes on fucking, you know, <laughs> like, at like 35. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Like, but we were doing it, we were killing it. But the reason we did that was because we really didn't know if there was, a, we, we, we just assumed that my name and Mike's name were bigger than Run the Jewels. Mm -hmm. And we would come out and the Mike fans would be happy and the L fans would be happy, but there was this other group of kids there and they were getting, and they were even younger. We were getting a bunch of kids that were legitimately younger than the audience that we were used to. Right. And a lot, and a lot more women because everyone who's in the underground rap knows it's, yeah. you know, yeah, it's, it's not, a sausage party. Like it's yeah. not, it's not apart from a few acts, there's not like a whole hell of a lot of women at, at underground rap shows traditionally. You saw a crowd of kids there that were like kind of politely having fun during the Mike and LP sets. But when we came out as Run the Jewels, it was like they didn't notice that we were the same people. Wow. And it's like you went in a phone booth like Clark Kent. Like, right. Except we went into the phone booth and came out with the exact same clothes. <laughs> <laughs> like the phone booth trick didn't work and shit. Like we're like, oh my god, someone's in trouble. Like go, you know, you go in and you come out and you're just dressed exactly the same. But everyone treats you like you're Superman. Now, these fucking kids would just explode. It was the shit that got the whole room jumping, and we started to realize like, oh shit, like the run the jewel shit right now is kind of popping. And I swear to God that those opening sets went from an hour to like 25 minutes. There you go. It is there straight is. up like. We were like, let's just get to the part where we're in this mm -hmm. run. Now, they went to like 30, 35 minutes each. And we were like, just, just get to this run the jewel shit. This was like, again, like 500 person capacity rooms. And for us, we were really happy with that. Before run the jewels, we were just like, man, if we can just play to 500 people a night, we can make some money doing what we love to do. We can hang out with the people that we love. That's a good life. Yeah, and we'll take it. Life, and, yeah. and, you know, we'll, we'll take it. We had been through a whole lifetime of ambition and career and everything and settled on not anything less, but more like settled on some sort of peace of mind about this shit, like gr gratefulness, being grateful to get the chance to be on another tour. <laughs> and I think that that's almost to some degree what Run the Jewels 1 was about. Like we were like, oh man, we'll make this record. And we were like, yeah, we could tour this shit. We just do this shit together. Boom. It's easy. You know, like we get to go out on the road again. Great excuse, because for us um, individually, you know, the way that the way that touring would go would be like 
when you're releasing like indie records and the indie scene and they're doing pretty well critical acclaim whatever mm-hmm. but you know you ain't doing crazy numbers you know but you get some festivals you get a couple of tours right, right. you know you get to maybe you get to run around north america then you get to hit europe mm-hmm. and if you're lucky you get maybe australia maybe you get some other shit popping but you do some festivals here and there and that's your run you tell them and my life so, so you tell them my life yeah and it's a good <laughs> and it's a good run but it's not that mythical shit that you heard about where you just tore and tore and tore and tore and tore mm-hmm. because the demand is there. It's like you kind of got a life to, to, to the record and, and, and you do it. And Run the Jewels 1 was for us another extension. It was a way to, it was another extension of, of what we had just done to be able to go out on the road again. So we went out on the road and, and that happened and we were looking at this shit. And that's when people started throwing the fist in the pistol. Yeah. And we were like, yo, this shit is kind of a fucking thing and we were like great because it's fun for us the music and the bop and the way that we performing together is really fun for us by the time that tour ended that was when it was like huh maybe we should just go like you want to go and do another one again it just goes back to the fact that we didn't have any master plan i think if you would have hypnotized us and asked us if we had hoped that it would have gone this way we might have been able to articulate it like yeah, I hope that this shit blows up and we get to run around and, and, and have this type of fun everywhere. So the Get It video was the shit. We also did the 36-inch chain mm-hmm. video, which mm-hmm. was the first video I did with Tim Sassenti, who I had previously worked with to do the artwork and the photographs and everything for I'll Sleep in Your Dead. Oh, okay. Um, and, and, and Cancer for Cure. So he was a friend, and, and that was a, a stupid idea that I had about us rescuing Mr. Killums. Mr. Killums, yeah. Yeah, Mr. Killums, who was a holdover from... And that's how you know, like, these projects bled into each other. Right. Mr. Killums was a creation of, uh, you know, from Cancer for Cure. which is sort of my, my, my dark, drug-addled, uh, you know, uh, alter <laughs> ego in the form of a squirrel. And y'all, um, beat up An- y'all beat up Andrew W.K. in that video, man. We did. We did. <laughs> it was what time. You know? <laughs> it was time. Someone had to do it, you know? Andrew's someone I've known just from New York, we share some friends and he's he's an ill dude, very weird and dope dude. Um, we just needed someone who could who could handle it. On Twin Hype Back, you got Prince Paul doing Chest Rockwell. Yes. Some of the wildest Chest Rockwell shit that has ever been said. <laughs> oh, yes. We can go over the long john silvers, get a fish platter. You can take me home and massage me with butter all on my neck. Did y'all ask him specifically to come do Chest Rockwell? Yes, I did. Okay. I was on okay. both Handsome Boy Modeling Records. Yes, yes. Um, yes the I first can. one, and he owed me because the first one. He tells that story on the first season of this podcast. He, he does? tells the story of the, of, of About, the first and how you were unhappy <laughs> with. But you, you should tell it again now just for people who hadn't heard the first one. Yeah, he knows. It wasn't <laughs> his fault. <laughs> I love Paul to death, man, and Automator, and and um, and also I love Alec Empire, who uh-huh. who did the remix that ended up basically on the record, right? But they definitely like. Here's the thing, man. It the, an MC's nightmare, especially if you're doing some oh, real specific, yes. specific and complicated flow over some shit, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is for someone who just to take your lyrics and throw them on a beat, and it's not the same tempo and it's not the yeah. same. Not the it's cadence not the doesn't not work. the cadence. So yeah. so he threw my shit. I, I I came up with a nasty fucking wild style fucked up rhyme scheme that worked mm-hmm. over the beat that they gave me. Right. And then they switched the beat. 
<laughs> and the beat was like a different tempo and it was yeah, completely it was, yeah, off completely like, different completely yeah. off i mean you know i can't you know, like i can't even listen to it and motherfuckers and it was but it was also kind of one of the biggest records at that point that i had been on in terms of exposure because they were on tommy boy and it was like getting real push and i swear to god i felt the reverberations of that fucking like i think people were just like lp's whack and i'm like that's not me (laughs) yeah like i swear like that shit damaged my reputation as a rapper for like for years and and i didn't realize that it, it, it was that sort of backlash I definitely did. Yeah, I wow. definitely noticed it. But it was but it was true. I mean, like if I was listening to that shit, I'd be like, what is he doing? Doesn't he know where the kick in the snare is? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, it's all good. I, I you know, I, I love those dudes and it was I mean, we laugh about it now, but at the time I was just like, oh, you stabbed me in the heart with that one. Mm. And cuz everyone involved I fuck with. Everyone involved yeah. is dope. But anyway, it doesn't matter. I came back for the second one. They didn't do it to me on that on that one. <laughs> they redeemed yourself. Um, but we're we're you know I've I've just fucked with those guys forever. I fuck with Paul forever. Not only just obviously just um, a legend in music, such a goddamn amazing human being, such a warm and kind individual, and also like a uh, bit of a comedic genius, you know, Absolutely. like a, like 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 in a real way, in a in a in, in, a, in a very um, unsung way absolutely 100 percent. and and what was one of the first people who was like actively trying to fuse his sense of his sense of humor and comedy with music and so anyway the chess rockwell legend of that that you know when it, when i got him because because we did this jam and it was just so we were just talking so much shit and of course <laughs> obviously run the jewels one run the jewels was almost all apart from a few jams just complete jokes it was almost all just like we're gonna just be the biggest assholes you could possibly believe just because we thought it was funny we're gonna say shit that doesn't really it's not really always us it's tongue-in-cheek and and we had this jam that was kind of just over the top and and if you listen to the twin height back lyrics it's it's a it's a high level of of fuckery um (laughs) and (laughs) so wilder zobi and taco were kind of responsible for the the body of that that beautiful little breakdown um that um, i was i was as well but like that was like one of the first times that we had brought wilder in and wilder has this sort of like he's very musical it's a very sort of musical jazzy kind of sensibility that he has and so we we had this beautiful breakdown that we had constructed together and we couldn't we didn't have a hook and i was just like man i should just get someone to come in and just talk talk some crazy shit and then i was and i, I think that i had spoken to paul recently and I, he just was in my head and i hit him up and i and you know i also you know because of because these records are kind of like my homage to everything that i love in a lot of ways so i like to drop little little breadcrumbs and little things in there that only certain people would know who chess rockwell is you know right to me that was like a big triumph like i got prince paul <laughs> to be chess rockwell and the more fucked up shit he said i was like yes you know like he yeah. he even got a little bit weird about some of the shit he said like he was like should i say that and i was like absolutely <laughs> it's the worst <laughs> it's the worst thing you could possibly say like 100 percent. and and the one the one line i gave him was the the one line i gave him was at the end when he just went i love you yeah that was i was great. just like just say just say that at the end i love you 
I think that there was something really brazenly politically incorrect about some of the shit that we were doing as well, but yeah. it wasn't with it wasn't incorrect in the in the way that people knew that we were actually attacking anybody or or, or had you know malevolence behind it. And I think that there's room for political incorrectness if everyone's in on the joke, yeah. not if there's a fucking victim at the end of the joke. You know, that's a hundred percent. And and so I think that that's where Run the Jewels when we let ourselves go a little bit into clearly you know politically incorrect shit it was that you were in on the joke you know we weren't making fun of you we were making fun of us and i think that that was kind of what what i felt like with that song it was just this sort of this scumbag character that only prince paul could create who wanted to offer <laughs> you like you know sprite <laughs> yeah. um you know that that, that kind of calls to mind this idea i had when i was listening to ddfh um mm. Because, like, that's the one for me that lets me into the fact that, like, this ain't 100% Jamie and Mike. This is, like, this is them turned up. This is this is not to be taken literally. Like, I know Mike has hope. I know, you know what I'm saying? You've, you know, you've had a journey with substances. You're not literally telling people to throw away fucking hope right. and do drugs. You <laughs> <laughs> don't fuck hope. No, (laughs) no. And that was also that was also one of the jams that like we kind of let people in on the fact that it wasn't all jokes either. Mm -hmm. You know, like we, you know, other side of that coin. Yeah, because there's some serious stuff in that song. Cops in the ghetto, they move like the Gestapo. That was like me and Mike kind of letting letting a little bit of that edge that we have in there. And I think that there are a couple of places in the record where that comes up. That's one of the main ones. So dude, don't fuck hope was that was my shit. Mike had that slogan, <laughs> you know, and, and it just was such a ridiculous thing to say, but it was just soaked in irony and bitterness yeah. and just oblivion. I was just like, fuck it, let's use that shit as a hook. Mike came into my life with like a few like rotating slogans that he had, like, <laughs> dude, don't fuck hope, um, lie, cheat, steal, kill, win. Like those oh, were like, shit. so it became a tradition to like take one of Mike's things that he would just say and like, he's always coming up with like t-shirt ideas and shit and just weird sl- phrases and slogans and shit. So that was the first time we, we had used one of those, you know, as a, as a song. Yeah, it wasn't us saying you should actually do dope and give up <laughs> <Right>. hope. <laughs> um, so we're gonna, I'm going to wrap up here, but I want to um, just touch on a couple more like idea things you were you were talking earlier about the shows on that first tour and how you know there were mike fans and there were lp fans and then there was this whole new crop of like run the jewels fans and and i was going to ask something about that before you even laid that out because i was going to ask if it felt like y'all were putting y'all fan bases together or if it was a new crop of listeners being brought along and it sounds like it was a new crop too and i and i i would i guess i'm curious for somebody who's been in the business as long as you have and seen how things go, like where do you, where do you think how do you think that new crop of listeners came along? Like where do you think that energy to get the new people, the young people, where do you think it came from? I don't know, man. <laughs> that is that is the great mystery. I don't know. I just think that I did think that the music hit at the right time, man. The shit was bumping and like and 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 it was free. So right. a lot of people got their hands on it. You know, like right. um, I think it was the right moment for the music. I think this shit just hit. It was dangerous and fun music. 
And um, that's what kids like. We just happen to be supplying that right at the moment. And so I think that we did have this experience of bringing our fan bases together. That was what the previous tour was. And I think at the time I was a bigger touring entity than Mike was. But you go to the South and you know what I mean? It's another story. So we were working on bringing these groups of people together through our connection. And that really started to happen. Um, we, you know, people were enjoying everybody on that tour. You know, the first one when we were doing just the solo records, it was a great tour. And, and I think that at, a, at the right moment, here were two guys who were very different guys from different scenes, giving a real fucking excuse for everybody to get together and have some fun. So the crowd started to kind of blend in and dig it. Everyone was having a good time. And it was a very mixed crowd, not only racially, but gender and, and, and age. But I think that that really blossomed with Run the Jewels. Like we had our histories. And right. so our histories followed us into those shows. And, then the, and so what we had was different crowds of people where there was intersecting, like there were definitely people who fucked with LP and fucked with Killer Mike. They knew both of our shit. There are definitely people who are one or the other in terms of what their knowledge was of us. And we sort of started to weave them together and give them an excuse to be in the same space and find out about each other's you know, music. Run the Jewels was something brand new that had not been defined that everybody could claim. Mm -hmm. And it felt like everybody claimed it at the same time. And it wasn't exclusionary to anyone who was younger who may not have known us from our past records. And it wasn't exclusionary to anybody who was regional. You know, because there was a, an Atlanta dude and a, and a Brooklyn dude making shit that was sounded like maybe it was rooted in some golden age shit, but it had a double time bop. We could see like there's a lot of room for a lot of different people to fuck with what we're doing right here. Wow. And that is really and that I think was the truth of it. That's why we ended up getting big. I think that's why we ended up being like festival killers, because we were being put in front of audiences that were huge audiences and winning them over mm -hmm. for whatever reason. I think that like everybody had their own reason why we were winning them over. But it was really cool for me because I was like, you know, this is the first time that I've been involved in a project where, uh, don't get me wrong, the music that I was doing always had a very diverse fan base. Yeah. And I was always lucky enough to be able to be put in front of a rock audience or put in front of a rap audience. And I always kind of had that. But Run the Jewels opened shit up, especially as it progressed. It just opened shit up in a bigger way. And I think everybody was really in on the ground level of helping define it for what it was for them. And, mm -hmm. and it didn't hurt that they could throw that, that pistol and fist up at each other. And that was enough of a connection. And that's what we wanted. We wanted to be like, look, we're fucking different. Me and Mike, the guys standing on the stage are different. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool that the thing that can connect you guys might be this music that we're making. That's what's connecting us in a lot of ways, you know? Um, so it just, it just became something that we felt like, it felt like there was goodness coming out of it. Mm -hmm. It felt like there was, it was less about um, ego and it, it became something that I hadn't quite experienced, which was like being caught up in something that maybe I started, but wasn't, wasn't mine. It was being defined by the people who were listening to it. And it was being imbued with power and being imbued with love. And that was something that we were at our age and at our place in life really cognizant of and knew that it was special because we had done it so many other ways, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that by the time we had done our run on that shit, we just looked at each other. I looked at Mike and I was like, 
again? It was literally, <laughs> it was literally that simple. Like, yeah. Yeah. Don't go again? That's and he was like, yeah, hell yeah, we're going again. And we just went right the fuck back in. I, I, and I think, I think, man, I think that's the perfect place to leave it. Um, when we pick back up, um, we'll talk about two and potentially three as well in the same episode. Cool. But, uh, but that seemed like such a beautiful way to uh to sum up what started you know what started as an idea coming off of one tour by the time you're done with the run the jewels one you this is yeah. fully a thing that you're like living in and, and being able to see blossom and that's just awesome dude well we will uh holler back at you soon um thanks everybody for listening and um we'll be back with more lp and what had happened was very soon very soon very soon very soon